Welcome to Dragon Talk, the official Dungeons and Dragons podcast. I'm Greg Tito, your humble uh, hostess with the mostess. Oh, wow. Yeah. You're switching genders over here. I am. Which I'm, is totally acceptable, but you got to give me some warning. Thanks, Trevor. <laughs> this is Trevor Kidd, everyone. Yeah. Woohoo! He's, Hi, everybody. You support me in all my craziness. Hey, you're, you're, you're my... Uh, uh, I, I don't want to use gender pronouns now. Cubicle you're, buddy? You're my cubicle buddy. Yes. And I will I will always be there for you. We're high-fiving yep. in spirit also. In, no actual high-fiving because I mess with the mics. Well, and, you know, the germs. Oh, yeah. We don't touch each other ever. <laughs> it's horrible. Uh, so uh, we are here to talk about uh, uh, an amazing novel that's coming out uh, from uh, Aaron M. Evans. Yes. The Devil, you know. The devil you know? The devil you know. You know. You know. The devil. The devil. No. The devil you know. The devil you know. That's right. There we go. Uh, uh, the con- concluding uh, novel of her uh, Brimstone Angels yeah. saga, which should be really interesting. Um, I love that series. She's always a good person to talk to, to delve deep into the lore of the Forgotten Realms. We're going to get some spoilers, so stop now <laughs> and go read all the previous books. Up to this point. At this point. And yeah. then uh, in, in the Brimstone Angels series, and then uh, come back. Exactly. Uh, we'll wait. Yeah. Or, you know, you just pause. Okay, now we're going to... All right, now we're in. Uh, and then also, what else is going on in the Dungeons & Dragons world there, Trevor? We know. have uh, Storm King's Thunder is out and about oh, those in the things. world. I was like, what's this on the podcast? Like, I don't know. You're the, you're the, you're the master podcaster. Yeah, uh, Storm Ooh, King's... I like that title. Master podcaster. <laughs> um, yeah, Storm King's Thunder is out and about. Uh, it's doing awesomely. If you guys haven't checked it out, you definitely need to go check it out. Stores, Amazon, yes. wherever. Oh, also uh, Roll20 and... Uh, uh, Fantasy Grounds. Fantasy Grounds, thank you. Exactly, you can check it out there. Um, we're preparing all of the uh, goblins and gnolls who are mm-hmm. making Volo's Guide to Monsters right now as we speak. Yeah. Uh, that will be coming to your friendly local game store. Uh, I'm going to get the date wrong, but I think it's November 4th. Sure, I just say November. And uh, that's also where you can get the alternate cover. Uh, so dun, there's going to be two dun. covers to this book. Same insides, but two different covers. Um, it's very nice. It's You're going to want the alternate cover. It's really soft if you to like touch. Book. It's really beautiful. Yeah. Shauna, yeah. who will be upset that I mentioned her on the podcast, even though she's been on the podcast. Shauna Narciso? Shana she would Narciso. love it. She'd love it. Uh, she went through a lot of different hoops slash things to get us this really cool cover. Yeah. I'm a huge fan. My favorite moment over the last uh, few weeks was when she just came with like... Would you like to touch this cover? And we're like, yes, <laughs> yes we, we would. would. Yeah, it's very uh, enticing. Yes. Uh, designed by Hydro74, uh, a wonderful artist uh, who did one of the covers of Dragon Magazine, or Dragon Plus for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it's 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 amazing. We've yeah. been talking about some lore uh, um, from Volo's Guide to Monsters over yes. the last few Lori Chanel segments, so you should uh, enjoy that. Volo's well. going to be great. It's got some in-depth looks at some monsters you know about. It's got some other monsters that haven't been featured in... Uh, uh, you know, uh, the 5th edition content yet. And it also has a lot of uh, different information for playing different monster types for the yes. players. So, players always like to be yeah. monstrous. If you want a monstrous campaign or just have, have you know, that, that kobold tags around the party, played by a character, there you go. You can do it. Yep. And I'm sure Shelly, if she were here, would tell us uh, that Widow's Walk, the first expansion to Betrayal on House on the Hill, is coming out. In October, October 14th, I believe, yeah. is the date. Uh, just in time for all of your Halloween parties and or gaming leading up to uh, the deliciously terrible horror-themed of October. That yes, normally if, is. if I don't see pictures on the internet and Twitter about uh, you people playing Widow's Walk in, on, or leading up to Halloween, then uh, humanity has failed. You have, I'm just you telling, have I'm telling all of you now that, yeah. that you will be responsible for the failure of humanity if you don't get me some pictures of that. So. Cool. 
There you go. Trevor has spoken, and yep. I believe him. Yep. I believe him. All right, so listen to that. Uh, check out What Does Walk when it comes out, uh, also at their friendly local game yeah. store. Uh, but we are going to now transition into some lore you should know. That's one of my favorite segments that we do. Well, it is the only segment hey man, I I'm guess jealous. that we do. I'm listening to you talk to those guys. I'm like, oh, look at all these cool things. Well, we all get to learn them, which is great. So yes. Tito's doing us a service, but it's like it's like you know having class on on, on fake history, I which I like way better than real history. Me too. Yeah. Me too. And then we get to to get some details that people can use in their games, which I think is is super cool. Yeah, definitely. All right, so let's go and uh, talk to uh, Chris Perkins. Woo-hoo. Welcome to Lore You Should Know. I am joined by Mr. Chris Perkins. Hello. Greetings. Unfortunately, Matt Cernet is not able to be here. He's currently walking across Scotland, uh, or rather the border between England and Scotland uh, right now. But uh, Visiting visiting pubs as he goes. Yes. Uh, In search for a good IPA. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure we'll hear about that uh, uh, upon his return. But in the meantime, we're going to talk about a different uh, uh, journey through a uh, mirror-like world. <laughs> How's that for a segue? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, and to talk about the Shadowfell. We yes. uh, uh, talked about the Feywild on a, a previous segment, and uh, that came up a few times, uh, was was what makes the Shadowfell the Shadowfell. So, uh, 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 Chris, what can you tell us about uh, where this concept of the Shadowfell came from? So the Shadowfell traces its origins back to the earliest editions of the game. In first edition, it was known as the Plane of Shadow. And in some respects, it's very similar to the Plane of Fairy and the Plane of the Feywild, because it is uh, what we would call a coterminous, coexistent plane to the material plane, which means it's very, very close um, in proximity to the worlds of D&D, so close that under the right circumstances, you can step over from the material world into the plane of shadow. And in the early days of the game, it was just sort of defined as a realm of uh, black, white, and shades of gray, mm-hmm. uh, and where all the color had basically been leached out. And uh, over the edition, by the time we got to fourth edition, uh, that's when we gave it another name. That's when the shadow fell as a name first came forward. Mm -hmm. And that came out of a brainstorming session along with the name of the Feywild. And we discovered um, soon after settling on those names uh, that there was a fellow out there in the real world uh, who had named his website and his campaign Shadowfell. And so when the time came uh, to uh, proceed to publish, Uh, we decided to keep the name and contact this fellow and ask for his permission to use the name as the name of the plane. Mm. And we credited him in the fourth edition core rulebooks for allowing us to do so. And his name was Brandon Daggerheart. My gosh, that's his real name? Yes. What? So sounds like a D&D character. It does sound like a D&D character. Now, the Shadowfell got a lot more attention in 4th edition, and uh, we kept a lot of those details in 5th edition. And we described it not only as a gloomy plane, um, this colorless mirror of the real world, but we also, um, whereas whereas the Feywild is this kind of 
life-filled, vibrant, very emotional plane. Mm -hmm. The Shadowfell kind of dulls emotions, and the longer you spend on the plane, the more apathetic you become. And a lot of the denizens of the plane are undead because the Shadowfell is suffused with negative energy from the negative energy plane. Um, it is closer to the negative energy plane than the, more, than the material world is. And so uh, we, we've really played up the idea that the inhabitants of the Shadowfell are a bleak lot. Mm. Um, the Did way they start you, out that way or over the time? The over plane? time, we've, we've sort of emphasized the, the bleakness and the, the, the pervasive sense of apathy um, in products like uh, the Shadowfell, Gloomrot, and Beyond, which was a fourth edition boxed set that focused exclusively on the plane and one of the large cities there. Mm -hmm. um, we, we really delved into what it is like mentally to live on a plane that is so, by its very nature, kind of exasperating. Um, and now, we also talked about a number of the common inhabitants of that plane, like Shadow Mastiffs, which coincidentally appear in Volo's Guide to Monsters. Excellent. All right, we'll learn more about them uh, uh, when that book comes out. Yep. Um, but uh, so the city that you mentioned, the Gloomrot. Gloomrot, yes. Uh, is that a reflection of a, uh, a city on the material world? So, uh, no, it is, it is really just its own city. Um, uh, there are places, even though the Shadowfell does have landmarks and features that do mirror uh, the material world in some sense, it does have also its own locations, um, uh, places that people have built mm -hmm. um, there. And uh, this city is populated by creatures called Shatterkai, who are sort of uh, very depressing, um, who, who don't really have much regard for life. Um, are they like the kind of undead that want to... Uh, uh, oh, they're not undead. They're actually alive. Oh. Um, but they've, they've, um, they've got this uh, nihilistic view of life. Mm -hmm. Are they, were they born of the Shadowfell? Are, are, are there um, creatures there that, that were only, are like are native to that plane? Uh, they, uh, there are creatures that are native to the Shadowfell. Um, and, um, uh, Shatterkai are basically humans who after being trapped or locked away in the Shadowfell for a long time, sort of evolved oh, okay. into something not quite human anymore. Uh, and a Gloomrot was uh, sort of designed as a place, as a, a hub you could go to in the Shadowfell um, uh, so that you're not just, you know, wandering through forests and over craggy hills and that kind of thing the whole time you're there. Designed by the game designers. Yeah. For yes. some reason, I was thinking that by the, uh, the Shadowkai, oh, that they designed it. it. And they were like, oh, yeah. at least we have our own no. community. Um, it was so, just kind of built organically over time then? Yes. It's like, a, oh, here's other people who are trapped, and then over time they became right. their own. Yeah, in race. later editions, when we really got into developing the planes, we wanted to make them, we wanted to put things in those planes that people would want to visit. Mm -hmm. give, give DMs reasons to take campaigns there, to have adventures there. Um, it's sort of like, you know, what's on the plane of fire? If it's only got fire on it, there's not much reason to go there. Yeah. Uh, fortunately, it does have things like the City of Brass, for instance. Right. In that case. So we felt like the Shadowfell needed a few touchstone places that fit the mood of the plane, and Gloomrot was one of the places that we created. 
Nice. Now, how does this relate to uh, the domain of dread uh, of Barovia? Uh, I'm glad you mentioned current that. cosmology. Yes. So, when the Shadowfell came to be in fourth edition, we made the decision to say that the domains of dread, uh, what a lot of people know as Ravenloft, uh, all the domains of the Dark Lords were essentially in the Shadowfell. Mm. They were pocket lands cut off by mists by dark powers that sort of shape and control the Shadowfell. Uh, that idea has been preserved uh, to a, a large extent in 5th edition, although it doesn't preclude DMs from uh, taking Ravenloft domains and just making them their own separate demi-planes. Mm. We do say in the 5th edition DMG that the, the Shadowfell is home to Dark Lords of Ravenloft, including uh, Strahd von Zarovich and his displaced domain of Barovia. Mm -hmm. And that's there's something about the nature of the dark powers of Ravenloft or the dark powers of the Shadowfell that they can pull lands into the Shadowfell and essentially contain them within mists and in some cases even link them together mm. um, so that you can move from one to another. Uh, and that idea as a concept was first introduced in fourth edition. When you say the uh, the Dark Lords uh, and Strahd being one of them, who, what are some of the other other examples? Oh, um, well, Dark Lords in general are kind of like the Archfey of the Feywild. They are uh, personifications of uh, great power within the plane, although Dark Lords are, are universally evil. Mm -hmm. uh, and they're almost always cursed in some way. Um, that they can't leave the domain in which they themselves are trapped, but they can trap others in their domain as well. Uh, historically, some of the most well-known Dark Lords uh, outside of Strahd, um, without going into too much detail, uh, there was a mummy Dark Lord whose domain is very much ancient Egyptian feel. Mm. Uh, there is Azalin, the Lich, um, who rules a domain called Darkon, which is also, incidentally, the home of a famous vampire hunter named Rudolf van Richten. Uh, other domains include Tepest, and, uh, which is, a, I believe, it's a hag domain. Mm -hmm. uh, there's also a domain of Markovia and uh, myriad other lands. Um, one of my favorite uh, domains are some of the island domains because they're even more contained by the fact that they're surrounded by water. Mm. Uh, I remember one from a, a second edition Ravenloft source book that I ran or included in my home campaign, which was a sort of a craggy island called Ile de la Tempête, which was the home of a werebat dark lord um, who haunted a lighthouse. Was this the, uh, the campaign that was the seafaring campaign? Uh, it was it was a campaign I ran um, as a as a as a youngling uh, back before I joined the company. Got it. Uh, all right, so it, it would be uh, uh, remiss of me not to mention uh, Stranger Things in talking about the Shadowfell. <laughs> yes, yes, because uh, a lot of these concepts and ideas the upside down. Yes, yes. When I saw Stranger Things, um, the first thing that occurred to me was that it is in some ways very, very close conceptually to the Shadowfell, insofar as it's a mere reflection, a dark mere reflection of the real world where monsters you don't want to meet dwell. Right. But that they can find ways to cross over into our world. In D&D, &D, the way you get to the Shadowfell most easily is to find a Shadowfell crossing in a place like a graveyard or an old battleground where soldiers have died. Mm. 
so the the the, the de- uh, death of all of these souls creates yes. kind of a passageway. To exactly, them. which might only be open at certain times, like on nights of the new moon or something like that. Or, right, so, the anniversary of a exactly. Battle. Yeah, it, and it's easy for DMs to drag characters into the Shadowfell or into one of the domains of dread because it can simply just happen. Right. Unbeknown, like if you yeah. fall asleep in a graveyard exactly. the wrong night. Mm-hmm. Or in could, a haunted forest or whatever. Right. Yeah. Which is essentially what happens in, in, yes. in Stranger Things. Or you can book passage on a ship and as you're traveling on the ship you hit a fog bank <laughs> and the next thing you know you're running onto an island that's on no map and you've somehow crossed over into the Shadowfell. Nice. You're just full of good ideas for DMs to steal mm-hmm. right now. Wow. Uh, excellent. Great. Uh, okay. Is there anything else about the Shadowfell you think we should uh, uh, mention? Nope. That's about it. Sweet. All right. Well, I, I have like four Fun ideas. Fun place to visit, but I wouldn't want to live there. <laughs> Neither would Barb. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, Chris. Uh, and uh, that's, that's, that's our Louis Chanel. We'll pick up uh, again next week. Oh man, I always love hearing from Mr. Chris Perkins. Yes, he's a he's a font of information. No no math this time though. He's still on his vacation. Probably he's still on his vacation. It's true. Yes. Yeah, but uh, we will uh, ping his brain for all of the fun, uh, fantastical locations he's been to. Yes, uh, maybe that'll be another lore you know, like fantastical locations. Oh, and yeah. we'll mix in some, That's some great. things. Yeah, maybe he'll come back from uh, uh, from the Vale of Shadows. There we go. Talk to us about that. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So without further uh, uh, machinations from me and Trevor, we will get right into our interview with Aaron Evans. So let's call her up. Oh, good. Ryan is amazing. Yeah. He really is. <gasps> Hello. Hello. Aaron. Hey. Aaron, it's Hi guys. Greg and Trevor are here with you. Hey, how are you doing? Good. good. We're just going to talk over yeah, each other at the just, same time. We're just going to like echo yeah. constantly. Some impressive harmony going there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was probably really bad because both well, of us are tone deaf. Yes. yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us, Aaron. This is awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me. We're excited about the uh, release of The Devil You Know this week. Yeah. Comes out tomorrow. Oh, my gosh. Unless you're in Canada, in which case it was last week. Oh, <laughs> shh. Don't tell anybody. Yeah. It's a secret to everyone. Yes. Uh, but no, it's... Uh, Chapters. I, go ahead. <laughs> oh, I was just going to say, there's the bookstore in Canada chapters. They uh, cheerfully ignore street dates. So if you're lucky enough to live in Canada, you can often get books early. That, everyone that everyone is just going to go to Canada right yeah. now. So, yeah, what, what can you tell us about? This is the fourth book in the Brimstone. No. Uh, fifth? No. Sixth. Ninth? It's the ninth? Sixth. Fourteenth? Sixth. <laughs> I don't know why these books are so hard to count, but you're not the only one who oh. has this. I, I, you go back and it's... So what's, what's, what is that? So, you know, five is a quintet, but what's six? Six is a... A sextet? Sextet. Sextet. It sounds like we're being perverted. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, it sounds awesome, but, you know. Ryan just like, I can't believe you said that in the podcast. <laughs> it's true. I was assured that it would be edited if need be. So <laughs> Yes, yes. We can say we can say whatever we want and we'll be like, edit that part out. It was horrible. Um, but no, I'm super excited to uh, see where this all goes with Frida. I've been I've been watching and reading. I have not read book five. I'm a horrible person. Well, you've got to catch up. I do, I do. Uh, but it, it won't will, make you try to read book six. It won't make sense. I know. I will. I, I, I have book five at my desk right now. I was staring at it. I was like, I can read that. I can read that like in a couple of days. I can do that. 
So I, I probably will be doing that soon. For uh, but for those of our listeners who uh, who haven't read any of them, what's a what's what's a, a big quick you know uh, not a recap of all the novels, but just what's uh, uh, what can they expect? <laughs> yeah, we can't do all that. But like, yeah, what's 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 kicking all of this off? What can you tell us about the beginning pre-book so we know so our fans will know what's going on? For for book six, you mean? Yes. Yes. Um, this is where you get all the answers. <laughs> <laughs> so it's actually so. true. There's a, yeah, I mean, this is, this is the final book. So this is where the rubber hits the road and decisions get made and secrets get revealed. And it's hard. It's a really hard book to talk about because really quickly out of the gate, I, like I think maybe even in the first chapter, um, I kind of start dropping bombs. Oh, wow. So when I've done, I did um, an excerpt on my blog and then I did a little kind of Facebook live reading, which if you go to my Facebook page, the video is there. But trying to find a section to read was really hard because <laughs> even stuff where it's like the spoiler's not in it, it, it reveals um, big things. Um, so there's, you know, characters um, that, you know, like went for like a little thing because this was one I did eventually decide I had to share. Um, Frida and Havilar are orphans they're adopted by a dragonborn warrior named Mahen Mm -hmm. um and the who their parents are is something that has kind of been floated around in the background and and kind of narrowed at and so you get to meet Farida's mother in this book yeah that would Uh, be cool so and then find out the story of how they ended up left at the gates of a dragon well it's not a dragonborn village but it's sort of a dragonborn village yeah um and you know what happened with Asmodeus and Azuth and all kinds of things I can't even I can't even like can't even reference at this point I can't even reference because like the fact that that's a question is kind of a surprise so. yeah it's like oh well, I knew that was a thing but I never really thought to think about it like, well now you will <laughs> yeah all of the yeah. secrets because because there's never any secrets or machinations when you involve a whole bunch of devils right no it's no, very it's very upfront the whole time yeah, they say what I mean. <laughs> that actually uh, leads me to a question that I've been wanting to ask you about the series. So you've got, you know, definitely things constantly rolling in the background, and the, the, the series is six six books long. How do you decide, or how did you decide to be like, okay, so now I'm going to reveal this mystery, and I'm going to reveal more questions. There's got to be so much going on uh, with all this stuff. Like when you're, when you're yeah. writing a series this long, how do you not just be like, here's all the cool stuff I want to tell you? <laughs> <laughs> Some of it is just there's not room, um, and... And so you can, you know, if you, you have a big, um, like, like starting with the sundering, the sundering is where Frida, um, I decided Frida was, you know, going to be the chosen of Asmodeus mm-hmm. because that's where, that's, that's what the stories are going to be about. They're going to be about chosen. So <laughs> it, it ended up lining up really nicely with some of the other things. Um, so that storyline of, you know, what happens when you're chosen by a god you don't want. And why would anybody choose a chosen that doesn't want them? And, and how, how does this all come out? Um, that's a big story. And, and it, I, need room to t- I needed room to tell it all, um, especially when, you know, you're talking about sort of smaller adventures. And it is sort of like, you know, if you're, if you're, like, if you're running a game and you have sort of like, like an encounter and then you also have sort of a, um, you know, bigger little story section that encompasses all those. And then you have like the longer story arc, you know, you're trying to find this item. So you have to deal with all these NPCs and then, well, that item is part of this bigger quest. And once you get to there, then, then you can start something new. But, um, so I guess in that sort of way, you think about breaking it down that way. 
into into sort of subsections little or like I like the example of it's like a kind of a a TV series like a kind of drama based TV series we have a, right. an episode yeah. arc and then you have a season arc and then you have kind of like the whole show and how long can you pull that story along yeah um, and so then sometimes it's also um, I am making it up as I go so there are things where um, you it, it it ends up looking like I I meant it all along but. I just kind of threw details down and went, I'll figure out what this means later. And then yes. I was like, wait, these all fit together so nicely. <laughs> there, was, um, there was some part of your brain that knew that, right? It had to yeah, it's, it's it's very, on purpose. Yeah, it's weird. It's very much <laughs> like that. Um, a really good example, which I don't want to spoil Ashes of the Tyrant for you, but there's a character called Aliona that starts coming up. And I will tell you the truth. I did not know Aliona was a thing when I started this series, but she turns out to be really important. Awesome. Um, and I got that just because there was one, I wrote one line and I thought, that sounds like I'm saying X, but I mean to say Y. I'm like, oh, but what if I was saying X? <laughs> <laughs> oh! Um, so I don't know, it's, it's fun and it's, it's, a, it's, it's a kind of a, an ongoing process, we'll say. Yeah, I think it's cool how people can, you can like take uh, uh, details and your, you know, every human's brain starts to like connect them and make them a story. Um, you know, it's kind of like what dungeon masters do when they're just like, oh, these are just random details that I rolled on a chart, but here's the story that how they go together. Um, and it's cool to think, I think, you know, everybody wants to have that idea that not novelists have it all figured out way ahead of time and they're just putting it out there. But I, I, I think it's cool that there's some, uh, element of improvisation in what you do. Yeah. I, love I think idea. a lot of the time too, and it's, especially when it's a series, when you know, you're going to write, you know, multiple books and you're, you're going to have to figure out, you know, this, this thing down the line, you're going to figure out why this character's done this, or um, you know they're going to take an action, and you're going to have to figure out why. Um, that if you you kind of make the little decisions that will impact that, it can help you decide what the answer is. Um, I don't know. I was I have a, a friend in my writing group who's working on a a book that involves um, like a kind of a rebellion against a fascist state, and she needed her agent was like, add a little more here. It's like, I need them to do something to take some action, but I don't know what it is. And I, but I want it to matter down here. I'm like, just make it up. What feels right for this? Because then when you get to that book, hmm. you can say, okay, I have this piece that's going to kind of help me determine what I'm going to do. It's like, I don't know. I always use the example for writing tie-in that it's like writing poetry when you have a form versus sort of free verse, mm-hmm. like writing in some ways, writing a pantoum or a, you know, a, a haiku or a sonnet is trickier to do right because there are these constraints on you. But if you use those constraints to kind of in, kind of inspire you, then you can create something really amazing yeah. that you wouldn't be able to do if you were just kind of free floating. Yeah, I knew people who used to uh, uh, balk at the idea of like writing contests or things like that, where like you know, you get a random genre and a random you know, detail that you have to include in your, in your story or something like that. And they'd be like, why would I, why would I do that randomly? And I'm like, well, that's part of the fun is that you, you're, you're, you're writing under these or being creative under these constraints. And in some ways it can be freeing, right? Yeah. Cause you're like, oh, well, these are my constraints and I have to make it up. And you know, the product you get from that is sometimes better than if you were, you know, some, some amazing author who is creating the master, you know, the great American novel or something like that. Oh gosh. (laughs) (laughs) I always, I always loved the specter of the great American novel. I yeah. Wanted, I, when I went to college, I wanted to write. And then, like, there was two family friends. Every time I talk to them, so you've written the great American novel yet? It's like, no. 
No, that's, oh. that's never my plan. I was never going to write the Great American novel. That seems like a, Stop like, talking. Like, like a jerk thing to say. Yeah, yeah. I, as, I, now that I'm older, I realize that it probably was a jerk thing, jerk thing to say. As, <laughs> as younger teenage Trevor, I was like, why do they keep saying that? <laughs> <laughs> I hate that. I'm, I'm glad I'm past the point in my career where people will come up to me and say, so how's the writing going? Like I have cancer or something. <laughs> it's like they whisper it. How's the Yeah. They put their hand on my arm. The couch, and yes. So how's the writing going? Like, yeah. Are you okay? It's terminal. It's like you're dealing it's with terminal. a death in the family or something. Is it? It's, it's fine. I, the it's, flip side of it is like I meet straight. Like my husband and I went out to dinner for our anniversary, and we ended up at one of those Euro tables where you sit with a lot of people mm-hmm, that yeah. you don't know. Yeah. And it was fun, but you know, we got around to like, what do you do? And I said, oh, I'm a novelist. And and they're like, oh, good for you, good for you. <laughs> Man, this is the worst part of being a writer. And then they're like, "Have you had any, written anything published?" And like, I've published seven novels. Oh <laughs> yeah. man! I hit bestseller list and won awards. <laughs> and then it's just a different tenor yeah. altogether. Yeah. <laughs> good for you, because because, and this was something that I was told to start doing when I was doing it. It's like if you write, you're a writer. So exactly. pe- people got used to it for that for that to be the mentality. So I'm like, no, 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 no. I've been published several times, and I've found I'm I'm on bestseller lists. Like, yeah. I'm not just a writer. So you have to you have to classify yourself now, Aaron, as not just a writer. Look, You're a writer who gets paid. You say novelist. <laughs> I say novelist just because it, it sort of starts out like nobody's going to try to give me well-meaning but bad advice. About exactly. Yeah. At least, I mean, I don't know. You still get that. But I think everybody <laughs> probably, I don't know. I guess some, some career paths get it less than others. Yeah. My husband is a software developer, so I think people generally assume he's got his stuff together. Right. So it'd be like, you know, flippy artist. Yeah, you probably, you probably don't like go around being like, oh, you're a software developer? What code do you use? You should really use these. Right. Use yeah. these. Well, maybe they do. Maybe that's Has exactly. your code been published yet? Has your code been published? <laughs> <laughs> you're not a real software developer if you haven't been published. Yeah. Yet. That's like if we were, I would just, you know, people are like, oh, what are you doing? I'm a podcaster. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, bless your. <laughs> Listen to your podcast? Oh, <laughs> no. Just, <Yeah. laughs> just a couple. <laughs> just, yeah. my, just my mom. It's actually, to be fair, if you said that you're a podcaster, people would be with like, what's that? Yeah. And you have to be like, well, it's like the radio, but free. <laughs> <laughs> it's frustrating, too, because like if you're not published, it's not like you're not doing the work, right? That's oh, yeah. Just, you know, there's more hurdles ahead of you that you just haven't gotten to yet, but yes. you're still, you know, you're still a writer. Yeah. I think it's that old school thing that like creative people are not doing the you know are not uh, uh, you know useful parts of society. Yeah. Mm. Oh, artists, we love them, I, and and people talk down to them all the time. Yeah. I, I I do love artists. I'm including writers in that. I I for the mentality for the writing. When I always tell people I wanted to be a writer, they'd be like, "Well, everybody can write." I'm like, mm, "You're an idiot." <laughs> <laughs> like I didn't actually say that part, but I really really wanted to. Uh, because you're right. Everybody can write, can put words on a piece of paper, but can they then write to an audience and do something that people want to write and tell a message if they want to do that? It's like, no, yeah, that's kind of a that's a something. That's an amazing. I, I just find that like that's a hurdle. I think people don't appreciate as much like, as they should. It's it's hard. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a lot of text. Yeah, and it's it's also funny because I've talked to people who write. Um, sort of in other medias, you know, like game designers or tech people. And in you tell someone, like you, you tell the game designer that you're writing, you know, 2,000 words a day. That's not very impressive because you guys make a lot of text. But, but your text doesn't have to be one cohesive piece, right? Mm-hmm. It can kind of be broken up. And, and 
I mean, I don't mean to imply that, that one of them is harder than the other because they're totally hard in different ways, right? But it always strikes me like, no, you don't know what it's like to hold, have to keep track of 200,000 words of story yeah. as it's shaped and shifting. <laughs> it's a different kind of process. Yeah. And just generating them, right? I'm not even sure how, how I would keep track of just like little things. Like let's let's say, you know, you've got you know all these different characters and they have different features and different eye colors and different favorite things, you know, different ways they speak. Do you have like yeah. sticky notes around your writing area everywhere that's just like, this person has brown eyes. This no. person likes ponies. You know, I, um, like uh, for the most part, I try not to give t- characters too many details, both because... It, well, I mean, it is really hard to keep track of, but it also kind of ends up micromanaging the reader's experience in a way that you don't necessarily want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm totally cribbing from Stephen King here because I think that's his advice is like, don't don't try, worry about describing your characters too much because what works best is if you give the reader just enough that they fill in the rest with what feels true to them, that, that speaks to their experiences um, so that they, you know, like that a given character looks like somebody who acts that way to them. Um, which you can do, you know, more with human characters with the tiefling, you kind of have to be like, here's all the weird stuff. (laughs) Oh yeah. Uh, You're the horns. Let me describe them in detail. Here's what the eyes look like. (laughs) Tail. Don't forget the tail. Um, but like, for example, there's a character Bryn in my novels, who's a Cormirian, um, prince, I guess. I don't know. I don't remember what his title is at the end of all his drama, but, um, (laughs) He's human, and the most important thing about Brynn is he's kind of short, um, and he looks kind of young. And that, and and then that, and like he's blonde, just to keep track of him versus other humans. Mm-hmm. But I didn't realize until like I think it was before I had some reason I needed, I needed to say what color his eyes were. I think it's because he's he's sort of adopted in a really weird royal snarl kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was kind of a common on genetics. And I was like, wait, what color are his eyes? I don't know. And I even <laughs> never said. And I actually, I like put the blast out to readers. And I was like, somebody tell me what color his eyes are because I don't know. Nice. Oh, my gosh. That's great. That, and that is something that novelists can totally do now is, you know, you have this <laughs> connection. Yeah. This like fact checking audience at your disposal on Twitter or Facebook just to be like, someone tell me. What are the details of, you know, so-and-so? I don't want to go through all my texts. I'm sure one of you who knows this right off the top of your head. Please it, tell me. I guess it makes sense, too, because for uh, Havilar and uh, Farida, their eye colors, like, it's prominent in the beginning because they have, they have swapped eyes. I don't yeah. know. You know, they have, each have an eye of different color. Oh, Havilar's just got gold. Farida's the one. Oh, right. Gold and silver. Yeah, but, yeah, but she has, like, weird eyes, and it's, you know, they're identical twins, but she's got this weird mark on her. She's um, and that matters, right? That's symbolic, and yeah. it's it's noticeable. It gets commented, it gets commented on, you know. But yeah. that's um, another thing that I think Stephen King said. He was giving an example in on you know his his book on writing, and he says something about he describes a room, and then he just I think he like talks about like there's a red number six on the white bunny, and like you get to the end of the description, and the only thing that stuck out was there's a red number six on that bunny, and the same thing for me and Farida's like oh look she's got two different colored eyes. Yeah, That's right. Cool. Like you, you find the things that people would notice and get stuck on because you don't really pay attention. You really don't pay attention to a lot of the things around you, right? It's mm-hmm. just you know things that are normal don't could kind of fade. But I think that's also interesting, like to show the world and how 
different the world is, the stuff that seems totally normal and not remarkable to your point of view character can be um, the way that they call it out as sort of being ordinary can say a lot to your reader too, right? Yeah, for sure. It's like, oh, this is normal. This is fine. Like fireballs blowing up buildings. It's fine. It's totally cool. Totally. That was a fun part. You haven't read Ashes of the Tyrant yet. That was a big fun part of Ashes of the Tyrant because it's all the Dragonborn and they're weird. Sweet. But they don't think they're weird. Why would they think they were weird? This is totally how things are. <laughs> this is how the world works. We just breathe fire. So I'm going to bring this up because I thought it was awesome uh, when I read it. And it was done in such a way that it wasn't a big deal. Uh, I'm going to pronounce his name wrong probably. Is it Mahin? The yeah. Mahin, their father. So uh, at some point, I forget which book it was. Like, My partner, it was their male, Dragonborn. They're talking about like the person he loved. And I was like, oh, oh. That's pretty awesome, and like Mahin didn't even care, and the people around him didn't seem to care, and I was like, I thought that was neat. Was that a, I mean, I had to assume that was a conscious decision for you when you were figuring out what Mahin's past relationships were like. Yeah, when I first came up with Mahin, that was just part of who he was. Like, he was an exile, and he was really grouchy, and he's, you know, a skilled fighter, and he's gay, and he loves his kids. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, at, at the time, I think people in... who were making the decisions were a little hesitant to have gay male characters, particularly just, you know, thinking thinking that that wasn't going to appeal to people. But Mm -hmm. um, around the sundering, you know, they said, that's not the policy. And we really want to see as much diversity as possible. Like, like everybody plays these games. Um, They should all should be able to see themselves in these characters. And I was like, cool, I can, I had had this plan that I would sort of build it up like subtly there's little hints in Brimstone Angels and Lesser Evils mm-hmm. and I was like okay so I'll get to this part and then I'll introduce our Johnny his ex-boyfriend and I'll be like he's a dude and then I was like you know one I don't want to wait and two that feels really kind of gimmicky yeah. like like ha ah, I tricked you reader <laughs> so I I it kind of slid it in there is it's it, it's subtle I had people I there was um forget there was a book club pocket it might have been the tome show and there was they were arguing about whether or not our johnny was a woman or not because they just some people just read it that way oh. and then of course he turns up in ashes as a tyrant so there's no arguing no, I I, I, yeah when i read it i was like oh okay then i just yeah. moved on but it was like that was the moment i was like okay yeah okay cool and it's the case i think with the character that like mahan's private life is not anybody's business in his yeah. opinion yes if you are too dumb to realize that he likes dudes, then that's not his problem either. Unless <laughs> he's trying to hook up with you, which he doesn't he doesn't do very well. He's very <laughs> he's very much like in the dad mode and that was part of Ash of the Tyrants him. I'll that's see funny. all the stuff I missed. I get it. Yeah. Of course I do. I do. <laughs> I will. It's 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 on the to do this week list, along with Make sure puppies don't eat my walls. That's what's going on. <laughs> those, those walls are tasty. Yeah, they're they're teething, so they're constantly like, "Look, there's molding. It's here." And I'm like, "Oh, I hate you guys. I love you guys, but why are you eating my house?" Uh, sorry, totally totally unrelated to Dragonborn and and cool cool stories. So we we uh, uh, unintentionally sometimes make make fun of the title of the last book. So I have to tell you this, like. Uh, it's great. It's a title. It's awesome, and I love it. But wh- wherever the inflection is, totally changes the meaning of the title. <laughs> the devil. The devil, you know. Yeah. <laughs> With the question mark at the end. You of know. course, there is there is no comma there, so you shouldn't do that. It's just the devil, you know. Yes. So yeah. it's pretty awesome. So I'm gonna guess this. We're, we're gonna be talking more about devils in this book. You know. Yes. Because that's um, what they are. It is definitely a lot about Asmodeus. 
Um, and, you know, Asmodeus is an archdevil versus Asmodeus as a god. Um, and, you know, what the whole, I mean, I, I, I like the lines they pulled out for the back cover copy and he talks about like, listen, I'm, I'm what's keeping this whole business together. Yeah. I, I know that all these archdevils want my spot. They're, they're all, that's how this whole system works. But I also know they can't because if they pull me down, the whole thing collapses. So there's this question, if you have the chance to um, end Asmodeus, like what are the ramifications of that? And, you know, is the devil you know better than the devil you don't, I guess. There we go, yeah. It's not, I have to admit, it's not my favorite title, but there's some times where they, they, you need to name a book and you just, you, you don't come up with the best idea at the best time. Oh, but I think it's, I think it's, it's not great. a bad title. It's just, it, in this election season, it is definitely not great. <laughs> <laughs> Look and, at and that. I think, I'm pretty sure the last book I had that came out during election season was Lesser Evils. That was also a bad choice. Oh. Um, even though it was, a, I mean, it was an appropriate title, but it turned out like, no, this is it's too common and it's it's everywhere right now. <laughs> so we're going to get the devil you know, so, so the thing we need to do is get the devil you know on like a political reading list and then get it to also do well on that list along with, you know, the normal fiction list. I see. I see what you're doing here. Politics stuff in it. I mean, it's Dragonborn elections, but, but you know, you could probably drop parallels. <laughs> There's always some form of politics in it because it's devils fighting and jockeying with other devils too in the background. So right. there's definitely, I'm sure that, that goes on, especially when you're talking about Asmodeus being like, look, you can, people can totally bring, my, bring me down, but then this whole system gets borked and you're all screwed, uh, which is an awesome way for him to remain in power. Even if he's, if he's not telling the truth because he lies through his fake teeth all the time, slash godly teeth, slash whatever he wants to look like, <laughs> jerk. <laughs> I love Asmodeus oh as a bad guy. Yeah, he's... Right. Slash good guy. Or is he? At least devils are lawful, right? Yes. That's what, that's what you're going for here. Yeah. They're nice, quote unquote. Yeah. They wouldn't they, uh, steal from they, you. They, they, uh, I've I had them try to explain themselves several times, and their point is like, we don't really want to make you do anything you don't want to do. We want you to choose to do the things you want to do, and if you end up coming to us, then awesome. You know, I think there's one point where Farida like has this philosophical conversation in Devil You Know, and um, and she thinks of it like like when you try to pin Asmodeus down, like what is Asmodeus the god of, and how does he get to be a greater god? Um, and I had like some of the other characters talking in other books about Shar, um, who's the goddess of loss and, and shadows and stuff. And there's a little bit of like, why is Shar so powerful if she's such a you know craptastic goddess? But, you know, one of the other characters points out, like, no, you worship Char when you're grieving, and you, when you're sad, and you say, like, you know, help me out and get me through this. And the problem with Char is that she'll, you know, help you and then kind of try to pull you back, and yeah. you got to fight that. And the same sort of idea with Asmodeus, like, this is the sort of, like, save you from the dark things in yourself, and... and um kind of a god of easy paths and like 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 don't let me get stuck with these consequences kind of thing so it's a god that people like maybe worship but don't talk about yeah, exactly mm. listen if i need a quick easy answer asmodeus yeah, is going to give it to exactly. me but i'm going to have to pay for it for a while that's the kind of thing because the other thing is like you know in thinking about the blood war um i think a lot of times people kind of come at it as like devils fighting demons over there and and the prime material is kind of the prize and it made more sense to me to kind of frame it as the demons are fighting the devils and the devils are the thing standing between the prime material and 
the demons, nice. that they're defensive. But the reality is, I mean, like the example, I think the example I use in the book is that the, the demons are the sheep and the devils are the shepherds and the mortals are the sheep. Oh, wait, don't do that right. The wolves. The demons are the wolves. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Or really terrifying sheep. <laughs> yeah. The demons the are the wolves and the devils <laughs> are the shepherds and the mortals are the sheep. And yeah. so the, they, the shepherds want to protect the sheep, but in the end, the shepherds are going to eat the sheep. Yeah. Right? <laughs> They're going to steal the wool until they're done with the sheep, and then they're going to eat them. So if you're a sheep, it's not – it's better, I guess, but not really. But the shepherds are going to be sure, like, yeah, no, this is this is what you want. This yeah. is much better. We'll give you a good life. Yeah. There's exactly. order yeah, and they law. Want, and, yeah. and the way things are, especially – it makes this is why it makes sense to me to have Asmodeus be a god of some sort, that he – you know, that the devils want you – they don't just want your soul. They can't because, like – they, if, if, I mean, in that case, because it, because a God needs, you know, mortal worshipers. Um, but then that also makes sense because they, if, because they're lawful, they kind of thrive on the structures that humanity creates. Whereas, you know, demons want you to just kind of give into your id and tear it all down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I like, I like playing with that. I've enjoyed reading it. So okay. I, whatever you've done has been good. And me and several <laughs> others, obviously. Well, couple. <laughs> The numbers up there seem to, seem to say that other people are reading the book, not me. So now I'm trying to figure out if I want to go as a, a, a demon, a devil, or a shepherd for Halloween. <laughs> Take your kids out as demons and devils, and you can be the shepherd. Oh, that's the way to do it. Yeah, and people have no clue what we're referencing. Yeah, I'm the shepherd, and these are my children. We're like, what? I'm referencing this uh, podcast episode. I did. <laughs> what's the podcast? And then we go full circle. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Be good times. So this is this is the end of this end of this particular arc. How do you feel about letting this baby go and free in the world? Um, you know, I'm sad. I wish it could, you know, wish it could go on forever. Except I'd probably get really tired of it if that happened. Um, but I'm glad that I got to, you know, bring it to a close and that, that I got to, um, you know, tell a really cool story that I'm really, really proud of. Um, I hope people like it. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm certain I, people I, like it. I'm really excited for people to read it so I can, like, talk about it more. I'm finding, I like, I had this notion, I put a blog up and I talk about, because, I mean, the reality of writing, you know, in a shared world, in a, in a tie-in fiction scenario, is that you don't really ever know when um, something's going to stop, when they're going to say, okay, that's, we don't want any more of these books. And it's not always because of anything you've done. You know, sometimes it's just a shift in, um, the brand or some decision that's like 16 levels higher than your editor. Um, and you know, what are you going to do? And so sometimes, you know, I've worked on both sides. I was an editor briefly. And Mm -hmm. so I I know that sometimes like all of a sudden you don't get to finish your series. So I've, I've like mentally prepared repeatedly (laughs) for different endings. Like, okay, if this third book is the last book, (laughs) if I have to suddenly stop here, how am I going to end that? Um, and so I think it would be fun to say, like, okay, here are all the ways that it almost ended. Um, but if I tell you that, then you know how it doesn't end. And you can probably start drawing lines and go, oh, here we go. Here's what <laughs> happened. Yeah, but one day you can tell us all that. Or you can save all those stories for different books that you're going to write. Different oh, I'm <laughs> What if scenarios. <laughs> huh, just change the characters, change everything, and be like, you know that ending that I almost wrote for this one book? It would be perfect for this book. <laughs> That'd be kind of interesting. That's a, there you go. That's an interesting little writing challenge. Like, yeah. Yeah, this is the ending. Yeah. Do you know how I couldn't actually blow up the Forgotten Realms? Well, I can totally blow up this world I'm running in now. <laughs> <laughs> that is the nice thing about, you know, doing your own creator own stuff. 
you want to blow up the moon, you blow up the goddamn moon. I know. It's you want to blow up the room in Forgotten Realms. Like, wait a minute. <laughs> is that going to totally mess up someone else's story and all this other stuff? I remember talking like with Ed briefly, and he loves all the work you were doing now. So, uh, and, and he was saying that about your writing. Not he was a person who he also liked, but he loved the stories you were putting out there. Mm, he's so sweet. So, obviously, you did not blow up anybody's moon. Ed no. Greenwood is a nice guy. He's a super yeah. nice guy. And a wizard. And a, well, yes. and an actual and wizard. a rogue, <laughs> all those things. He's totally multi-classed. I don't know. I feel like I feel like I asked I asked my last question too soon. I should have saved that one for the end. Well, I was going to talk about the. I mean, you said you, you think it goes to a good conclusion, but did it feel like you got all all the uh, uh, the plots wrapped up in a way? Yeah, in a way. I mean, there's some stuff that would have been. Uh, you know, I had I had. When, you know, when you're doing this sort of thing, there is sort of the mandate, like, the intention is this goes on for, you know, 30 years, right? right? So be prepared. And so I had kind of mentally, like, this is the end of the whole Asmodeus thing. Um, but then, you know, what comes next? And so I had kind of another arc, and I had seeded some clues to it. Um, and I realize like okay well there's not going to be another there's not another six books so I can't make them go on this other quest but can I take that and cram it in here and I hope that makes everybody happy but I did it and so then people the people who I don't even want to tell you the question people were asked because people noticed the clues was the thing people were like why is this happening why did they say this <laughs> and I'm like I can't tell you yet but I will so I was like that was my my decision maker but there's there's some things there's you know one of the characters has um kind of a big personal doll has kind of a big personal thing to fi- puzzle to figure out and he figures it out but yeah. he doesn't really get to implement it because of the the limitations and that would have been nice to kind of mm. dig into but mm-hmm. it would have had to happen it, it, this is it i hope this makes sense it would have had to happen in the backdrop of something with slightly more compelling because it i think on its own would not yeah like i couldn't write a short story where doll does this because it would be really boring oh <laughs> well he does struggle with his faith a lot right and that would probably be hard to if you're talking about that would be hard to make a whole story about it yeah he I, oh i can't i, I don't want to ruin it don't ruin it it'll be it'll be good and people will read the last book and they'll be like oh now i know oh, what they were talking, they were talking about. about yes so, but now but, I'm super you know. excited. I've always loved uh, Dull's like what's been going on in his head. So uh, he's one of my favorites. It's funny. It was funny to me because he was when I first, first, first pitched this book. It was a standalone book, and he was one of the main characters in the book. Mm-hmm. And then they said, "Okay, wait, no, we want this to be an ongoing series." So I was like, "Okay, if that's the case, I have to start earlier because the book I pitched wasn't going to work." Especially because, like, okay, here's an ending I I I didn't use in the context. I didn't use it. Um, I was pretty sure I was going to kill Farida at the end of that book. <laughs> oh wow! So and it was you know, Havilar gets kidnapped by this this devil and she has to stop it and um. But anyway, I I was like, okay, so I have to push Doll out. I can't bring him in in the first book. Um, so I used Bryn. I added Bryn instead, and then brought Doll in Lesser Evils. And people were like, he's an interesting character. I really liked reading about him. And and with the kind of assumption like that was it. Lesser Evils was the Doll book, and Doll's dead. I'm like, oh, I hope you I hope you think that because he's in all of yeah. This he's stuff. he's he's the character that I loved the most at first. So he's in all of this stuff. <laughs> Like his 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 arc is super important because it it kind of um, 
shapes around Faridas and it doesn't, well, I'm doing things with my hands you can't see. No, no. <laughs> it's like, it's, you're, you're shaping. Yeah. I heard it. Shaping. It goes <laughs> like that. <laughs> and then it's, it's, the story supports itself on these two characters and other characters. It's, it's complicated. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of the, I feel like it's one of those, like, do you ever sit down to play a game? I think Catan is an excellent example of the sellers of Catan. You sit down to play a game um, with people who've never played it before and you try to explain it and it's almost impossible. Like you just, you can't, there's so many little things you're like, you do this, but not if you do this. And it, and the best way to do it is to just sit down and play it. Mm-hmm, and once yeah. you're playing it, like it makes sense. And I feel that way sometimes about these books. When I try to explain them to people, they sound like a tangled, incoherent mess. But if you sit down and you like, you know, engage with it and invite yourself in and read the story, it's like it all makes sense. It all makes sense. And you will be just as, you know, sucked in and, and arguing about these little nuances as, you know, yes. everybody else. <laughs> I sometimes get like that when people tell me about their uh, their D and D campaigns because it's always like, and then this person did that thing, and then I was a wizard, and then I cast this, and I'm like, I, you know, I, I don't feel the drama that you feel yeah. about this because I wasn't there and I wasn't, you know, having this this great you know theater of the mind experience that you were having. So you telling me about it isn't as awesome as the yeah. actual experience. So I, I totally I totally get that. We always have that. Every D and D gamer has that problem of mm-hmm. like, your story's great. I wish I was there. Because yeah. I think it would be awesome, but now it's just you telling me a whole bunch of things that happened. Like, that's like, I'm going to tell you about The Hobbit in four sentences. Like, right. yeah, that's that's cool. Or like in the Catan, it's like, I built a city and yeah. it was awesome. It was awesome. I traded lots of wood. So many victory points. <laughs> <laughs> there was this one trade I did, which yeah. changed everything. Yeah. I, I will say that Mahan and... Uh, no, well, Mahan's my favorite character. But my, my wife was always like, she read some of the book and she was like, why do you like... The grumpy guys. I'm like, well, they're not grumpy. They're just uh, <laughs> misunderstood. They're, they're misunderstood. No, but uh, I, I do. I did tend, tend to gravitate towards uh, both the characters who were more quiet and kind of grumpy. So you like the grumpy dads? Uh, not well. Not. I don't read books books about grumpy dads. Maybe maybe I need to find that. Maybe I need to find that demographic and start reading yeah, grumpy dad right. books. Yeah. <laughs> Dave Barry, I, I hear, has a few. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Pulling out the early, early uh, to late eighties and nineties. Oh, whatever. <laughs> Nobody knows who Dave Barry is anymore. No, no, no. you're talking to a whole bunch of people younger than us now. On Dave Barry's Wikipedia page, for some reason, like two days ago. No this way. Is very weird. Yeah, I don't remember what. I think it was he, there was a TV show that was about him. Right. Like a I think sitcom, it was right? I saw an actor and they said he was on this show and I was like, what is that show? That sounds familiar. And I clicked on it and I was like, that's right, Dave Perry. What is Dave Perry doing? <laughs> Click. <laughs> and then she went down the, she went down the Wikipedia rabbit hole. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> he probably still has like 40 million books out every year that people still buy, but oh. they used to be everywhere. Yeah. Crazy. Well, it's, I, I know you really can't talk about the, the plots of the books anymore, but uh, uh, I feel like we should have you on in like a year from now and we can really delve in deep and not worry about spoilers and uh, 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 talk about every single thing. Every single thing. Like, did, yeah. you, did you catch blah, blah, blah? It's like, oh, I totally missed that. I, uh, those, those things are going to happen. It's like, did you see in book two where I totally seeded this idea that was totally paid off in book six? I'm sure that's, I'm sure, I'm sure you're going to have those moments. Aaron, I could do a little, but. <laughs> <laughs> Could work. It could work. Well, so uh, what are you going to be working on uh, going forward? I know uh, the, this series is ending, but I know you you got a lot of irons in the fire. I'm sure. Yes, I some. Um, um, so I have a. Um, how old is he? I have a nine month old. Yes. Uh, 
which is, it, it, it feels so much slower because I have a baby, but I have to remind myself that, that people everywhere, you know, put out books slower than one a year. Um, so it's not actual slowness. But uh, so I, I have, right now what I have coming out, I am a, I'm in an anthology called Hath No Fury from Ragnarok Press. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's out in March. Um, but the story that I gave them for that was um, sort of a test uh, prequel kind of thing for the novel that I'm, I'm working on right now. Um, which is, you know, a creator-owned thing. And so I have no ability to tell people, like, look for it this time because you know, <laughs> yeah. you've got to finish and then should know this agent and then step and step. But um, I'm really excited about it. It's kind of an epic fantasy family saga. So if you like those aspects of my work, um, that's what you get. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's see, I have a couple other short stories that are, waiting to come out um one for shadow of the demon lord by mm-hmm. rob Schwab. nice um and then another for a, a setting called the lost citadel nice. and those two are kind of tie-in things um that i don't actually know when they come out yet but <laughs> 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 they're being typeset i'm pretty sure right now so they're they're close um and he just did a short story for champions of italtis um which is uh, another kind of small smaller um, role-playing game that uh, Mark Tassin, who does the Gen Con Writers Symposium, uh, put together, which was pretty cool. Nice. Um, but, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of trying out some, you know, taking, taking a step back from Shared World for a, at least for a little bit. Right. Um, I've got some, some other possible projects which are not locked down and such I cannot, you know, say anything about. No. Um, but, uh, I wanna, you know, I want to see what happens when I do it myself. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's basically like taking you know instead of doing a published adventure, you're doing a homebrew uh, a fantasy saga. Yep. Very cool. Figure out my own magic system, my oh. own Ooh. geography, which Ooh. sucks. <laughs> now I want to know about what the magic, magic system should be is. based on insects. Uh, no one's no one's done that yet. I'm not sure how to make that work, but you're more creative than me. I tell you, then other people will hear it and listen <laughs> to it, but better. But um, it's uh, it's. The, the notion is that, that there are sort of spirits that inhabit um, inhabit the land mm-hmm. and they've evolved to the people who live there. So different kind of countries or empires have different relationships to these spirits. Nice. Um, and then so so they can sort of do different things. Like there's this one of the sort of site, you know, it's not the most important one in this book, but it's this empire where they have almost like the Lares um, of ancient Rome where there's like a house god, kind of like a house spirit. Mm-hmm. And so they attach themselves to families and they only care about that family. But the thing with these spirits is that they can do kind of like quantum prophecy. So they can see all the possibilities of things that are going to happen oh. and kind of let you know what's what. And these particular spirits will only kind of nudge people if there's something particularly important that they're sure is going to happen. They're, they've lost the ability to kind of do the whole spectrum um, but then, you know, in other cases there's different things. And so it's been fun cause it's, cause you kind of start with that germ of like, what would this look like in its original wild state and then spread it out and spread it out and spread it out. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. I'm looking forward to it. This should be good. Yeah. And she doesn't have a date yet, everybody, like she said, <laughs> but keep, keep, keep looking for Aaron's stuff at some point cause Absolutely. she's, she's not done. Never. Never. Got more stories Never. to spool up. Awesome. Well, thanks for taking the time to talk to us. Yeah, thank you for having me. And hopefully we will have you on again, and we maybe we'll have you in, in extra life again at some point. You can you can wear your wear your Havilar horns. 
or or Farida. We could we could do either one. This year, I um, my son actually uh, when he was about two months old had um, an, had some seizures, mm, and so oh no. we went to Seattle Children's Hospital for about a week to kind of get it diagnosed and, and fixed. He's he's doing much better now. Mm-hmm. Don't good, worry. Good, good, But um, but it was scary, and they were wonderful, and so I was very much looking forward to doing extra life and right. um, giving something back. But um, unfortunately, it did not work out because. My life was getting very crazy. All the time. Oh, you, you, you have a <laughs> tiny, you have a tiny baby that that can happen as well. So. Yes, absolutely. Well, we did it all for you, so don't worry. We raised this, uh, you know, more than I think fifty thousand yes. so far, and more is coming in to help uh, Seattle Children's Hospital. And so. there's always next year. Yeah, always yes. next year. We don't ever stop raising. Actually, usually it's uh, it kicks off sometime thanks to the, thanks to Mr. Bilson's efforts. <laughs> it, it it kicks off in early in the year, so we can start doing stuff. But anyways, awesome. I could talk to you forever, Aaron. Thank you for coming on. <laughs> It's been awesome, and everybody should go out and check out the W No right now, or be like me and catch up, and then check out the W No. Right. You should buy it. You should buy it the first week. You don't have to read it right away, but you should buy it first week. Yes, <laughs> just buy it. Yeah, exactly. That's the important thing. We really like the well, the 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 stores, and everybody really like to see the numbers go up on that first week, so they buy more, and then Aaron sells more, and then gets on that bestseller list. So do that. Buy it on the first week. You know, when I go sell this family fans family fantasy saga thing that they uh. You know, they look at those numbers and they say, "Yes, we will gamble on her." <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, she's done this before. Look it's at this. Look at this record. But no, go That's out, true. buy it, and I'm then read it at some point, so Erin can talk to you about it because she's dying to talk to people about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. Like, making me—it's it, so. This is one of those things about 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 like writing these series books is that you get like these. You get to drop these bombshells. You get to have these cool things, and you know people are going to like them, but. You have to wait like yeah. six months before <laughs> anybody else reads it. It's and got a lead up time. <laughs> I could not keep a secret that long. I'm sorry. I, this is another reason I'll never be a good, yeah, kudos a good writer. To you. I could not do that. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Well, thanks, Aaron. Uh, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye, Aaron. All right. Bye. Bye. Well, it is always great to hear from Aaron. I want to I now. Yes. I want to delve in and uh, read all those books. I, I, I'm a binger. They're I'm very a binge good. reader. So it, it, I wanted it to be you know finished and yeah. have it be done so that I can read it all in one. Once in you one get take. Th- so if you start now, it'll be totally fine. Once you get to that first book, you're gonna want to go to the next one, the next, the next one. So yeah. especially once you get to the point where like she really starts figuring out she's a chosen and what that means and yeah, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot to unpack there for yeah. sure. Aaron did a great job. I. I I like all of our Forgotten Realms novelists, but she's definitely stuck out for me lately. So sweet, kudos. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to what she does in the future. Yep. For and, that, and, and that book is is out at this point when people are listening. That's right. Uh, buy it on Amazon, Kindle, or otherwise. Or you know, go to your local bookstores and buy it there too. Well, or you know, Barnes and Noble. Is there still have any? There's still Barnes. And Noble. There's still all sorts of stuff. <laughs> Um, but uh, also, where can you find out about uh, some more Dungeons and Dragons stuff? There, well, Mr. I suppose Kevin? if you're you know hip and with it and you use you use electronic devices uh our twitter uh channel is always a great place to go so that's wizards underscore D. Uh, that's where i'm at you can also find greg tito at greg tito that's right and you can find me at oh the underscore trevor underscore kid that's I right. Sh- I made a bad choice when I did and that. And Dungeons & Dragons is also available on the Facebooks. Yes, it's a, Dungeons & Dragons. A page there uh, donated to... Donated? Someone made a page and yeah, gave it to us. They donated it to us. They're like, here's a page. We know you're uh, you're one of those uh, uh, people who need pages. Um, <laughs> 
If you enjoy my ramblingness uh, and uh, our interview with Aaron Evans and as well our Lore You Should Know segments, please tell us about it on the iTunes. Yeah. Yeah. Give us a rating and, and or a review. It always helps uh, give uh, more visibility to this podcast as well as this amazing uh, hobby of Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're also looking for feedback. We always look for for good feedback. Like if you want to tell Greg that you, I should be on the podcast more often, that's that's cool. Yeah, because totally. you know there was one fan who was like, "Screw that Trevor guy," uh, and we don't stop talking about it in the office. <laughs> oh, apparently Ryan is also on the Screw Trevor train. This is this is great, guys. This is yeah. awesome. I'm so glad. Make me feel your, good. About so glad I'm on, your, I'm on your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's not my podcast anymore. I'm not part of it. It's your. That's podcast. a good place to do it. Uh, is in the uh, those those ratings and reviews and. And uh, you can do that on the Twitters as well. Yep. You can just reach out and tell us or tell the tell the uh, uh, the main D&D Twitter account. But we do love it on the reviews, right? Because it also lets other people see what's going on. And it's, it gets word of mouth out for all, all the, the uh, stuff we're doing. Right. And check out Dice Camera Action, which streams every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time on Twitch. Yeah. Every Tuesday with an asterisk. With an asterisk. Yeah. Most Tuesdays. <laughs> <laughs> Like Four it, it, out of five we announced, Tuesdays. We announced the schedule pretty far ahead of advance, like right now. Yeah. So it's it's you'll you'll know if it's not gonna if it's not gonna be airing. Exactly. Uh, so go check that out there. It's uh, Mr. Chris Perkins, who you heard in the lore segment today, uh, running some fabulous people. Yes. Through. Curse of Strahd, yes. and uh, they actually just performed at TwitchCon in a live game for the first time. They usually play only on uh, screens talking to each other yeah. back over the interwaves. Yeah, it's but always yeah. live, but this was like live together with them in the same room. In the same, yeah, right, exactly. So changes things up a little bit. It does a little bit. So go check that out. It'll be up on the YouTube channel soon, yeah. as well as all the back And if you want to catch up, there. definitely. If you want to catch up, just go ahead and go to our YouTube channel. It's again, Dungeons & Dragons. You'll find it pretty easily. Yeah. And then look at look for all the Dice Camera action streams. They're there on a playlist. So Do it. All right, I think we've talked enough. Yeah. What do you think? I think they, we should let people go play D&D. All right, D&D out. D&D out.